Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job, and you can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. You can visit lifeinnaples.net to find out more. We've got a terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He's had a new baby boy. He's a, he's a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll be talking to, to him about the uh, proposed bill and uh, get a, the latest on impeachment. We'll also visit with Amy, Amy, excuse me, Amity. Schlaes, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that name, it's S-H-L-A-E-S, Schlaes, and then he, she's a very interesting person, she's on the board of the Calvin Coolidge Foundation, she also is a co-editor of the new, new release of the autobiography of Calvin Coolidge, talk about the use of language and the word great in inaugural speeches, Jack Wirt is the uh, executive director of the Naples, Mark Weiland, and Everglades, Convention and Visitors Bureau. We talk about visitation here on the Paradise Coast. And Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is February the 5th, and on this day in 1937, President Franklin Roosevelt announced a plan to expand the Supreme Court to as many as 15 judges, allegedly to make it more, quote-unquote, efficient. (laughs) So critics immediately charged that Roosevelt was trying to pack the court and thus neutralize Supreme Court justices hostile to the New Deal During the previous two years, the High Court had struck down several key pieces of New Deal legislation on the grounds that the laws delegated an unconstitutional amount of authority to the executive branch and to the federal government. Flushed with his landslide re-election in 1936, President Roosevelt issued a proposal in February 1937 to provide retirement at full pay for all members of the court over 70 if a justice refused to retire an assistant with full voting rights, would be appointed, thus ensuring Roosevelt's a liberal majority. Most Republicans and many Democrats in Congress opposed the so-called court-packing plan. In April, however, before the bill became uh, to a vote for law in Congress, two Supreme Court justices came over to the other side, to the liberal side, and by a narrow margin, majority upheld and constitutional the National Labor Relations Act and the Social Security Act. The majority opinion acknowledged that the national economy had grown to such a degree that federal regulation and control was now warranted. Roosevelt's reorganization plan was thus unnecessary, and in July, the Senate struck down by 70 to 22 a vote uh, to pack the court. Soon after, Roosevelt had the opportunity to nominate his first Supreme Court justice, and by 1942, all but two of the justices were his appointees. Well, I remember he was elected four times served three full uh, terms and died early on in the fourth. Uh, anyhow, you, it just points out how uh, elected officials do whatever they can to expand the power and the, the supreme knowledge and wisdom of the founders to have division of power the way we have it right now. Well, we're trying to protect it right now. There's no COVID-19 news in the Cuyahoga County newspapers, which I interpret to mean Daily cases have dropped so low that they no longer fan the fear of uh, the narrative of uh, fear. So, do you have hope that we'll soon shed our masks and return to normal social interaction? I certainly do. But White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, maybe she pronounces Saki or Psaki. I don't know. But anyhow, she said in her Thursday press conference that social distancing and mask wearing is still necessary for Americans who have been vaccinated against COVID nineteen. We are all trying to do to make sure that our medical experts are available to ensure people understand. And I'll reiterate, it is here today. It's not a vac- just a vaccine. It's obviously an incredible medical breakthrough. We want every American to have one, she said. But even after you're vaccinated, social distancing, wearing masks, we're all going to be essential. And we need to continue communicating about that through medical experts, she said. I don't know about you, but this guy Fauci, I don't, he, he has no credibility. He keeps on changing his mind. The narrative changes, and it's difficult to uh, believe. He said when polls 
said about half of all Americans would take a vaccine. I was saying herd immunity would take place at 70 to 75 percent. Then when newer surveys said 60 percent or more would take it, I thought, I can nudge this up a bit. So I went to 80 or 85 percent, he said. In other words, he lies. He does whatever he thinks is expedient to uh, direct the herd. So uh, I'm suspicious of uh, these uh, so-called medical experts, and I suggest you be too. Again, we should all take charge of our own health and not be persuaded by, especially people that Fauci obviously lie. And by the way, uh, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers, a Democrat, issued a new statewide mask mandate. Now get this, one hour after the GOP state lawmakers voted to repeal the previous mask mandate. Unbelievable. Johnson & Johnson applied for an emergency use authorization for the FDA for its coronavirus vaccine. They want to get it on the act. The company released data last week showing it was about 66% effective in protecting against the virus. So let's understand this. that 66% effective. Chances of dying from COVID-19 are about less than 1%. Uh, there are therapeutics now, including hydroxychloroquine, <laughs> that, that work if you find out you've got the early signs. So if Johnson's application is approved to be the third COVID vaccine authorized for emergency use uh, in the U.S. behind those by Pfizer and Moderna. I found this just before the show came on. There's high levels of toxic heavy metals in some popular baby foods. Now, grandparents and parents want to pay attention to this. Yesterday, a congressional report revealed significant levels of metal like lead, arsenic, cadmium, and a mercury in trusted baby foods like Gerber, Beech Nut, and Happy Baby, and these others. Concerning, since all of these metals are listed on the World Health Organization's top chemicals of public health concern, investigators said the companies knew what they were doing, often selling foods that surpassed current regulations, and cited that some baby food and their ingredients contain up to five times the mercury level allowed in bottled water. Exposure to these metals can have a dangerous effect, of course. The metals may have been tied to chronic disease and cancer. This is just incredible information. I encourage all you parents and grandparents to take a look at what the baby food that uh, are being consumed by uh, your friends' children and your children. And, uh, you know, go, go with uh, fresh foods as opposed to baby foods if you can. I don't know a lot about, I've had uh, three kids, but I uh, don't know a lot about feeding babies these days. But look into it. It's, it's a real con concern. Uh, experts say you can minimize the risk by avoiding rice cereal or products made with rice flour, uh, including uh, the popular healthy-sounding puff snacks. Uh, that's just so interesting. So uh, there's a lack of transparency between the food industry and its consumers and a failure by the FDA to keep companies in check. Now parents are left with serious doubts on how to ensure their children are safe and healthy. Uh, you think so? I certainly think so. And Quite frankly, FDA has approved uh, these vaccines. I'm skeptical. I'm watching. I'm skeptical. I think herd immunity is setting in right now anyhow. So watch out for the kids. Now, House Democrats are requesting Donald Trump testify under oath, which would include cross-examination at the Senate impeachment trial. Well, it sounds like a perjury trap to me. Uh, the president's uh, uh, representatives, Castor and Raskin, said to Raskin, Reskin is the guy who uh, made the request. We are in receipt of your latest public relations stunt, he said. Are you, as you certainly know, there's no such thing as a negative interference in the constitutional proceeding. They continued your letter, letter not only confirms what is known to everyone, you cannot prove your allegations against the 45th president of the United States, who is now a private citizen. Thus, the use of our Constitution to bring a purported impeachment proceeding is much too serious to try and play these stupid games, he said. Sorry, Dems. Democrat uh, Donald Trump will not be testifying under oath. And uh, this, uh, this is another story about President Trump. Apparently, uh, SAG after the union on Wednesday was uh, saying that they're going to review whether they should retain his membership, President Trump's, in the, this is the American Federation of Radio and Television Artists, and this uh, SAG, I've forgotten what the acronym is, but it's something to do with stage uh, performances. Anyhow, uh, President Trump fired off a letter to the SAG after union following the shameless publicity stunt. He say, admits in his letter that he's unfamiliar with the union president's body of work, which is basically a, 
a bit actor. I write to you today regarding the so-called disciplinary committee hearing aimed at revoking my union membership. (laughs) Then he says, who cares? While I'm not familiar with your work, I'm very proud of my work on movies such as Home Alone 2, Zoolander and Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, and television shows like The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Saturday Night Live, and of course the most successful show in television history, The Apprentice, to name just a few he wrote. Trump, who left his uh, office last month, of course, said also said, also greatly helped the cable news television business by, uh, uh, and created thousands of jobs in the network, such as MSNBC, said, and fake news CNN, among many others. And by the way, uh, interrupting this, but uh, since Trump has left office, CNN's uh, ratings have, and viewership has dropped 44%. They needed him. Well, which, here's the continuation of the letter, which brings me to your blatant attempt to, at free media attention to distract from your dismal record as a union, he wrote. Your organization has done little for its members and nothing for me besides collecting dues and promoting dangerous un-American policies and ideas as evident by your massive unemployment rates and lawsuits from celebrated actors who even recorded a video asking why isn't the union fighting for me. Meanwhile, the former president slammed SAG for their policy failures and further said that their disciplinary failures are even more egregious. I no longer wish to be associated with your union, he said, as such to inform you of my immediate uh, resigning from SAG after. Then he added, you've done nothing for me, (laughs) President Trump. uh, He was great. Don't you miss him? I do. Uh, Some don't. I certainly understand that. But just watching the speech yesterday from uh, President uh, Biden. I watched a portion of it, and he says, you know what, we're going to... It was just a globalist pitch. Nothing about what he's going to do for for the American people. He's just going back to the old policies of uh, supporting the uh, political elite and uh, getting attachments to the global... It's a global reset. That's what it's all about. Unbelievable. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Johnson's Air Conditioning is the uh, website. Life in Naples. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harton, the host of the Bob Harton Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding.
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. By the way, I want to alert you to a new website that I found, or a new app, Choice Social, it's called, and they're posting my show each day, and it's a great social networking, that, uh, so you can download the app by visiting choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Check it out. It's pretty interesting. Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Amity Schles. She's the co-editor of the autobiography of Calvin Coolidge, one of my favorite presidents. Right now, we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a, of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. So, William, let's talk a little bit about what's going on here. And uh, there's this proposal for $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus bill uh, that's being proposed. They're now trying to, to uh, take it through, I uh, forgot, the reconciliation or uh, a process so they don't need uh, 60 votes. What are your thoughts about all this? Well, uh, allow me to set the table. Um, we discussed the prior COVID stimulus. So Congress has already passed five bills totaling $3.5 trillion worth of, of COVID subsidies, stimulus, um, et cetera. Um, and indeed, the last stimulus that was passed in December, 80% of that, and that was a $900 billion bill, 80% of that has not been spent yet. Um, oh. So notwithstanding these facts and the, the fact that arguably um, you know, our economy is, is just ripe to explode. I mean, that it's not necessarily a function of, of supply, it's a function of, of just getting people out of their houses so they can start buying things again. Um, but setting all that aside, um, Democrats in Congress and the president are, are proceeding full speed ahead with, as you mentioned, yeah, another $1.9 trillion bill. Um, and this week, they've been jumping through all the procedural hoops that allow them uh, to use this reconciliation process to avoid a filibuster. Um, I'll note that this week's events, this week's votes, are independent of the substance of the bill. And, and we've got, so that's very much a fluid situation. On, on the one hand, we do have the president and congressional Democratic leaders pushing this $1.9 trillion plan that is just chock full of stuff that has nothing to do with yeah. COVID. Um, uh, on the other hand, you've got uh, 10 moderate Republicans pushing a counterproposal um, for a $600 billion bill, more targeted at the in, in insurance aid, or, I'm sorry, the unemployment insurance, um, and uh, checks to the, the, the most impoverished Americans. Um, and then you've got a very interesting idea, which uh, is spearheaded by, a, 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 sorry, I forget her name, but a moderate Democrat from Florida, um, which says, hey, our problem here is the vaccine. I mean, once we get people vaccined, or, or once, once we get a vaccine in people, um, our economy is going to explode. Why don't we just spend $20 billion on that? I mean, I say just as though it's chump change, but relative to the <laughs> $3.5 trillion they've already spent and the $2 trillion they're considering to further spend, um, it is chump change. So that is to say there's a lot of... Uh, it's a fluid situation. They haven't written a bill yet, um, but certainly the, the the leaders of Congress and the White House are pushing for a huge bill, presumably um, using that logic uttered by Rahm Emanuel in 2009, um, never let a crisis go to waste. Yeah, exactly. Well, William, I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, right now the economy is recovering. The, uh, the unemployment numbers statistics coming out, they're less than, than expected. In other words, the employment is better than we expected. And uh, But the economy is recovering in just a great way. We just don't even need this right now, quite frankly. Uh, it, it's it a, is. Oh, I was just, just going right to say that uh, there's still $1 trillion that hasn't been spent from the last bill, and uh, this this was just a complete waste. We, you know, People need to pay attention to the fact that we can't sustain this debt. I, I'm so sorry I interrupted you because no. you uttered my exact thought. Um, what sort of sense does it necessarily make to proceed with a $2 trillion bill yeah. when 80% of the prior stimulus package, which was only a month ago, 
hasn't been allocated yet, hasn't been um, spent yet. So, indeed, it makes one scratch their heads as precisely what is going on here. And, indeed, the facts on the ground, you know, elucidate exactly what is going on here, which is never let a crisis go to waste. They've crammed this bill full of non-COVID-related progressive priorities um, in an effort to try to, again, get this through under the rubric of we're doing something about COVID. Exactly. And so it's all politics. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that we're seeing the uh, COVID stati- statistics go down right here in Collier County. They're not even reporting it anymore because apparently they can't fan the, f- the flames of fear anymore. So, uh, and that's happening nationwide. So you have a, a double whammy here. You have, uh, it looks like herd immunity is setting in, number one. Number two, uh, the, the, uh, uh, vaccine is, has been has been used, and it's going to be easier and easier for people to get shots now that the, the demand is starting to be met. So, I, I you know I think they could just ignore this whole thing. Maybe do something for uh, maybe there's some things that need to be done with. Well, they could do it with a billion trillion dollars they already have and uh, that hasn't been spent. It's a, a, a very fair point, and I just want to echo that. Uh, it, it it seems obvious that the, I'm no macroeconomic. Uh, 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 economics uh, professor, um, but it does seem obvious that that which is hindering our economy right now is the fact that everyone is inside, <laughs> that people can't consume. Yeah, um, and it doesn't seem as though that's necessarily related to the two trillion dollar measure that includes a three hundred and fifty billion dollar bailout for states, a um, hundred and ninety billion dollar uh, equity plan for minority small businesses and, and other sundry. Um, I'm just not, that, that doesn't strike me at all as common sense. Well said, uh, William. So we're in violent agreement on that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> how about how about impeachment? Any thoughts on impeachment? Well, it proceeds apace. Um, so that's going to start next Tuesday, yeah. um, and it's unsure how long it will proceed. The, the historical average was 21 days, but I think it's widely expected to last um, shorter than that, um, there was an interesting maneuver. The House manager, Jamie Raskin, um, this week requested that President Trump testify, um, which would be unprecedented, and that, that was denied uh, summarily by Trump's counsel. Um, I'd say on this proceeding, um, sort of echo what I said last week and the week before that, which is um, we had a president call for unity. Um, it's now, you know, we're into February. And I'm just not sure whether or not this is what the country needs right now. Well, I well said, uh, and that would be, I think, the expedient thing to do. However, now that the, uh, if there is going to proceed, I'm hopeful that the Trump and uh, and his uh, his attorneys will present the entire case, not only about uh, not inciting the crowd, but also about the, uh, the 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 election. I hope he'll bring all and just rub their noses. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they've created the opportunity. I think you should go ahead and, and take that opportunity. It will, as reported, that's something that they're not. They don't intend to touch. And, and evidently, the uh, GOP in Congress is in the Senate is certainly recommending that they don't bring that. Yeah, up. I'm sure they um, are. They're, pardon? <laughs> I'm sure they are. <laughs> I mean, well, indeed, the. Uh, but I'll note this in their briefing: the primary defense. Um, seems to be the one that 45 GOP senators voted for. We spoke about that last week, right, which right. is the whole proceeding is unconstitutional because the president is no longer in office. William Yateman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. William, always appreciate your informed and interesting commentary. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Am- Amity Schles. I hope I'm saying her name right. We'll find out. Uh, she's uh, a really, I would say, probably an historian about the uh, Calvin Coolidge. She, she's the latest edition of the Calvin Coolidge autobiography she is uh, co-editing. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday special events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us for providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jack Ward. He's the executive director of the Marco Island, uh, Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Visitors and Convention Bureau. Right now we have with us Amity Schles. She is the co-editor of the autobiography of Calvin Coolidge. Uh, she also serves as the chair of the uh, Calvin Coolidge Presidential Foundation. Amity, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, thank you, Amity. So tell us about the uh, uh, Calvin Coolidge Presidential Foundation. Well, young people these days are wondering, uh, what is a Republican? The Republican Party appears to be in civil war, and Calvin Coolidge was president in another period of Republican disruption. And he cleaned up the party, cleaned up the country, and restored the shine to the presidency as a Republican president. So I'll just say that. Our dedication is to teaching young people about his model. Well, that sounds outstanding. In fact, uh, you've taken issue with the word, I, I read your column, the word great. Of course, uh, uh, President Trump, uh, his slogan was to make America great again. Apparently, uh, it's been used by many presidents, the word great, in the inaugural speeches. What are your thoughts? Well, yes, and, and that relates to Coolidge. By the way, President Biden dropped the word great a lot in his recent uh, inaugural address. So great is common to both parties. And what Coolidge said is, wait a minute, it's a safety to the president and it's a safety to the country if the president doesn't consider himself a great man, but rather a servant. Mm -hmm. So, so that, what did he mean by that? Our institutions come first, and if they're not solid and respected by all, uh, then we can't write meaningful policy. Uh, Coolidge was responsible for a marginal income tax rate cut that took the rate to even lower than Ronald Reagan, the top rate to 25%. He said, you need, you need all your political capital. And when you spend time, and this is not just against an argument against one president, it's an argument against our current culture altogether. All your time proving you're great, that mm -hmm. you're a great man, then you actually lose capital because people want you instead to invest capital in the project. Coolidge said, I will bend my energies. He used that phrase bend my energies, all my energies, he said, until I get my tax cut. So, so that's very interesting. That would suggest, for example, a Coolidge uh, a policy today that, that the party, right this sec, spend all its energy on writing a coherent platform. Mm -hmm. 
and that uh, you know last year's uh, decision not to make a new platform, which was an astounding, even scandalous decision by the GOP, was a large error. Being out of power is the right time to write a beautiful, impressive platform. It's very different. Coolidge, by the way, was also always civil. And uh, when he came in the room, people always underrated him. He was one of those people who underrate a governor, not a senator, and over-deliver. Yeah. And when someone over-delivers as a politician, well, you vote for him again. Yeah, that's those are such important points. I mean, it's certainly President Trump drew a, a lot of attention to himself. I personally valued the policies and the direction he was taking the country, but I de- definitely think he probably would have been a more effective had he drawn more attention to what was happening in the country. So, but Let me just stop and say, this is not aimed at President Trump. Right. It's just saying all it, it, where the policy is strong... We must praise that. Yeah, I know. I, I, uh, but I, I, life isn't, and, 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 and I would just also say, which not all of us always achieve, but Coolidge basically said you have to live a virtuous life so there's no inconsistency between your personal comportment and your policy. Yeah. So uh, uh, what do I mean by that? He was in an austerity period, which the United States does have to go through many times and may yet again. Um, and so at the White House, um, they had a fancy housekeeper who spent a lot of money and went rode around in a horse and broom, a horse, you know, a, a horse and buggy shopping expensively. Coolidge laid her off and got a more reasonable housekeeper who saved the White House on entertainment. Yeah. He demanded a, a modest inaugural when he was inaugurated officially in 1925, and he he didn't spend very much money. Uh, he because he why because he was asking the country to save money and do without spending by the government, but he was a unified man, a man of faith and a man of institutions and and quite peaceable and and that was quite uh, refreshing after a White House focused government a period of trouble the the scandal in that case of teapot dome yeah no absolutely well you know what I uh, maybe uh, let's just talk a little bit about the autobiography of Calvin Coolidge your enthusiasm uh, for the man and for his character and for his presidency is uh, just evident so evident Uh, why should we read the autobiography of Calvin Coolidge well one thing is uh, we have grandchildren and children right and Mm. this book by Coolidge, which he wrote after he voluntarily left the presidency when he, by the polls, could have easily won another term, it is the story of his life. He came from a place uh, quite remote. The railroad uh, was all over the United States, but it did not go to ch- choose to go to his rocky village, Plymouth Notch, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, had to walk to school a little bit like Abe Lincoln. Uh, whose party uh, was more the party of Lincoln, of course, much closer when Coolidge was a boy in the 1880s. And uh, he also had some very tough decisions um, on issues we also confront today. So it's interesting to read. For example, he had a public sector union, the policeman, when he was governor of Massachusetts, who went on strike. And the policemen were nice people, and they sure deserved a raise. Uh, There was terrible inflation in that period, but their contract said police can't strike. And when they went on strike, there were riots in Boston. Well, police um, have to serve the people. And Coolidge, as governor, fired the policemen and brought in the National Guard. He wasn't happy to do so, particularly because the policemen were Irishmen. And Coolidge was very friendly with the Irish and had their vote. He had to fire his own voters just months before an election, and yet he did it because they broke their contract and left the city unprotected. Mm. That's a tough act of principle that inspired Ronald Reagan. Some of your listeners will recall Ronald Reagan fired air traffic controllers. Nobody likes to fire people, but some people... Those who serve can't go on strike. Yeah, well, and, uh, and also and the so that kind of tough situation. Coolidge is a model. Yeah, no, I, and uh, certainly following the rule of law. Sometimes the law doesn't do what you want it to. Do. <laughs> sometimes, so it, uh, that is a terrific. Uh, I'm going to call it object lesson for all of us. It's what we should expect. We certainly want our leaders to follow the law. And there's so many instances where that's not happening. I'll give you just for example the. Uh, 
attorney, uh, the uh, district attorney in Los Angeles right now, is basically saying, "I'm not going to follow the law," and uh, it has severe and negative consequences. You know, Amity, you're a great guest. I'd love to have you back sometime. I'm going to point out the autobiography of Calvin Coolidge, now the co-editor of the new edition, the autobiography of Calvin Coolidge. Also, just point out the uh, uh, the Calvin Coolidge Presidential Foundation. Do you have a website for that? We absolutely do. Coolidge Foundation. Or We also have, if you have a young child who goes the extra academic mile we have a gorgeous scholarship a full ride to any college in coolidge's name wow um and juniors in excuse me juniors in high school not seniors juniors apply for this scholarship we have thousands of candidates and those who don't win the top hundred also win something they become coolidge senators and they get a trip to Washington to learn about Coolidge's Washington. Uh, he was a more restrained president um, and learned something of his values. So All he right. had prizes for young people, even declamation contests. I, I commend Coolidge's speeches to you. They're the best written speeches. Almost, I mean, he ranks up there of, of most presidents. And it's just um, a real uh, tragedy that our children don't learn those in school. All right, so the autobiography of Foundation uh, website. The autobiography of Calvin Coolidge of Amity. I got to run along, but I just genuinely appreciate your comedy, your uh, commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Jack Wirt. He is the executive director of the Naples Marco Island. Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months, finally having exhausted all alternatives for pain management. Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Jack Wirt. He is the executive director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good morning, everybody. Uh, uh, cold start, but uh, it's paradise. It'll get better. I understand it's about 50 degrees out there, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not usual. We're going to get up to the 70s, so it's going to turn out to be a beautiful day. 
uh, you know, I've, I'm so I was thinking about you. I wanted to have you on the show because I'm, you know, here we're going through this COVID crisis. We're so dependent on tourism here on the Paradise Coast. Maybe you could give us an update. Well, uh, it certainly has been uh, a challenging uh, ten months, eleven months. Who knows how long it is now? But um, yeah, it, it it's been difficult, and really, uh, back in the, the spring of, of twenty twenty. We were really in, in pretty dire straits. We really had uh, an awful lot of uh, vacant hotel rooms. People were not traveling. Um, but um, we did start to see a bit of a recovery on uh, some of the holiday weekends. And as we got to the fall, a lot of, uh, of our uh, very soft promotion was really within the state of Florida. And that's where it really needed to be because we saw a, a and to really say a nice influx of people from all over Florida coming. And as 2020 ended up, Florida was actually above uh, a year ago, wow. 19, for visitation. Wow, so that's that amazing. That was a good sign. Yeah. It really, really was. So, you know, the, uh, one of our commissioners, uh, maybe a couple of them, Collier County commissioners, said, uh, you know, we've got to have masks. It's going to help tourism. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you have this mask mandate right now. So what are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting. Uh, it certainly is a, uh, a bit of a mixed uh, message from different people. Right. For the most part, we are hearing from people that they're looking for, <clears throat> is, the, is your destination safe? Should we come? Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of questions we get. In some parts of the country, people say, you got a mask mandate, we aren't coming. Right. Others say, you better have a mask mandate or we're not coming. So <laughs> it's really difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think that the, the, the mandate that we've had, uh, both in, in the Collier County and the city of Naples also adopted that. Plus, and we've talked about this before, we adopted the Paradise Pledge back in uh, July of last year. Hmm. Um, asking businesses to adopt this pledge by following the CDC guidelines and protocols, what Florida Department of Health was suggesting, including social distancing and sanitizing and, and those types of things. And, you know, we've got 125 of our uh, tourism businesses that have adopted that pledge. Plus, and I think this is important for the traveling public to know, all of our hotels, if they're part of a, a chain, Hilton, uh, Marriott, uh, any of those uh, major chains, they all have very strict protocols on sanitizing rooms and how long between uses uh, yeah. of hotel rooms, what they do in their restaurants. And our restaurants really have, have adopted the sanitizing all uh, frequently touched surfaces and uh, servers wearing masks and, and so forth. So I think we've put the protocols and we're, we're really educating the traveling public on what we've done. I think that's going to help us in the long run. It certainly it seems to have helped here in Florida. Yeah. And that message is out in our northern markets now as well, in the northeast and the midwest, where obviously this time of year we want as many of those visitors who are comfortable in traveling to think about us for uh, for traveling for that winter vacation. Well, I mean, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting, and it looks like your measures are working because there's a lot of folks down here on tourism. I, one concern I have is about uh, the hotels and and the conventions. Are, are, are I'm, I'm guessing most people are doing Zoom meetings and not uh, getting people in a location here in Florida, for example, at the Ritz. Yeah, that's that is true, and that in the group meeting business certainly has been off a good deal. And as we've talked in the past, you know that's thirty to thirty-five percent of our visitation yeah. are group meeting attendees, right. and and oftentimes they will extend, stay a day late, maybe decide to bring their uh, family for a vacation. So that kind of visitation is really important. That plus. Our international market being virtually non-existent at this point. Yeah. What's been interesting in the in the group meeting business, Bob, is that these uh, hybrid virtual meetings are really seem to be growing in in popularity. Where the meeting planner will have uh, a good portion of their people attending 
virtually uh, mm -hmm. using Zoom or, or, or other platforms, uh, and then people uh, in place and in those hotels where they hold those meetings, they've got social distancing uh, guidelines and, you know, four people to a table and that kind of thing, yeah. and really making sure that people are not sitting too close to each other. So we've seen some, some uh, of that group meeting business start to come back, at least scheduled to come back. And most of that, I would say, is third, third quarter of this year before we'll really see uh, uh, in any numbers that that meeting business come back. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to the Naples Grand to, for the Florida Citizens Alliance event. They have three great speakers, and uh, the social distancing, they've cut the audience back to 250 folks in a very large room, so that means they're going to have plenty of social distancing. They have the mask requirements. So it's starting to come back. Uh, just, again, my, my preference is, is uh, I don't think masks do us a lot of good, but irrespective, I certainly respect the effort to get people back here and feeling safe. One last point, though, I do want to make uh, with the new garage. The uh, Naples City Council has approved the garage for Gulf Shore Playhouse, which is going to begin construction this year. I know you've been supportive of that. I was board chairman for Gulf Shore Playhouse for 15 years, and I wanted to uh, give you a, a big thank you, a shout-out, and a thank you. Well, thank you. It, it, that is, has been such an important project overall. I, I'm, I'm so really proud of everybody that's uh, involved with Gulf Shore Playhouse to be able to, in, in the situations we have, um, we're, we're able to raise money and it's wonderful to see that. Yeah. We need that uh, uh, performing arts center uh, to really add to what we already have. And, you know, we've, we've been through this, uh, this whole strategic planning for arts and culture. We really want to be a uh, a destination of choice for people to enjoy the arts. And boy, are we lucky for a town our size to have really three performing arts uh, uh, centers, uh, plus all the other arts and, and yeah. special things that go on in this community. That's something that people uh, can uh, uh, can really come here and enjoy in, in, uh, in, in good numbers. And, and we've got it, and we our research shows that's certainly something that people will add to yeah. their stay and oftentimes stay a little longer just to, to take advantage. Of well, I, I just genuinely appreciate your efforts in the behalf of Gulf Shore Playhouse. What that means, Gulf Shore Playhouse, just for our listeners' benefit, donated an acre of land. Uh, the city has decided to accept that in order and to build a garage, a parking garage. The win-win here is there'll be covered parking and easy access for people who go to Gulf Shore Playhouse and now a new garage that really makes it so convenient and kind of opens up the city from Baker Park all the way to the end of uh, Fifth Avenue South. So, uh, again, a, a great project, a big win-win for the uh, community. Uh, again, uh, Jack Wirt, Executive Director, Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Really appreciate your update. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Jack. All right, coming up, Dave Vigo. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website NADC kids.com you'll be glad you did welcome
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. A little shout out to Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job, and I hope you'll visit them for breakfast or lunch. We have with us Dave Bego. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a book about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years doing these dirty tricks, trying to get him to sign a neutrality agreement, which would have given uh, them permission to go by and intimidate and get people to sign up for the union, and once they had 50% of his employees plus one, it would be unionized. Dave said, you know what, uh, you're welcome to unionize our shop, but you're going to do it by secret ballot, not by intimidating and dirty tricks with my employees. Well, the dirty tricks pursu- uh, went on. He prevailed, and after two and a half years, he wrote a book about it, The Devil at Our Doorstep, which is, by the way, a great read. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me on. And, um, um the unions are doing the same things to this country today. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm, I'm concerned about right to work. Any update on that? Yeah, um, I just got uh, uh, an email from the National Right to Work Committee um, yesterday that um, the um, the unions in uh, Virginia and Nevada are um, ha- are working hard right now and have right to work. Um, rescinded in those states and then behind the scenes they're working on other states across the country and that their goal is to uh, have right to work totally taken out of this country now right just so our listeners i'm sure most of our listeners understand what right to work is but uh, maybe you could define it for us well right to work uh you know in in states that have right to work people that are unionized have the option to opt out and uh, not pay union dues and not be directed by the union bosses and that. And um, they don't have to, uh, you know, um, bargain with the unions or do anything like that anymore if they don't want to. Yeah. And so it's a personal thing. I mean, if other people want to stay in a union that's unionized uh, the employees and the business they're in, they can stay in it if they want to. But behind the scenes, the unions have been really intimidating people not to opt out. Yeah, and uh, not as many people have opted out of it as uh, would like to. Yeah, uh, so the intimidation goes on. But uh, again, the, the decision about this is going to be in the uh, local or in the state legislatures, and I'm sure it's not going to be an easy job for them to overturn right to work in those states. Well, but here's the problem: um, fresh off the election victories in the states of Virginia and Nevada, union bosses are doubling down with old demands of Democratic-controlled state legislatures beginning their 2021 sessions. Uh. So uh, they may have more chance now with what happened in the elections in those two states. See, here's the thing. I mean, it seems to me union bosses should focus more on providing value. If the president just uh, quit sagging, I don't know if you saw, quit sagging after. He wrote a, a, a blistering letter saying, look, you guys provide no value. You're un-American. He goes on about this thing. He says, uh, I'm, I quit. <laughs> basically said about that and you know unions need to take a look in the mirror and figure out what kind of value they're providing because you know what they don't provide much well no they've lost their way you know i say that in my book and um you know at one time they did some good things and there still are some unions out there that do but the majority of the big unions anymore uh it it's all about power and money for their own pocketbook they don't care about the people and um so they're just using, you know, the power intimidation tactics to uh, take care of themselves. And uh, they're the ones that want to take over this country and turn it into a communist socialist country without God in it. Well, they're doing a pretty good job, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, right now I listen to the president's speech or portion of it or whatever I could stomach. And uh, it, it was clearly saying, look, uh, we're going to make this government great again. <laughs> it, was, it was all about expanding government. His message was all about thanking the people in the State Department, nothing about providing value to the American people. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody has settled down now that President Trump is no longer in office because he basically said, look, business as usual, not acceptable. And uh, these, uh, the deep state was very uncomfortable with that message, just like they were. He was a thorn in their side, and now that it's been expunged and pulled out, having President Biden, who, quite frankly, I think all he's doing is he's doing the agenda for the left, and it's uh, it's just very disappointing. Well, you're exactly right. He's being controlled by the left, and and uh, 
you notice even as he signed these executive orders and that he really hasn't gone through and read them he just signs them and and when he talks about them he kind of mumbles he doesn't even know what's in them all and that's because the leftists put all these things out because uh, they want to bring down this country and by you know uh, all the regulations that uh, uh, Trump had thrown out and um, all the new things he put in place to help businesses and stuff like that yeah um, they want all that stuff taken out and uh, of course the immigration policies and that they want that stopped because they want uh, more of those people coming across the country so that they can control them and uh, get them into workplaces and unionize them yeah absolutely uh, this guy Sam Ricketts is a co-founder of the climate policy group at Evergreen a senior fellow at the Progressive Center for American Progress and he said Biden's economic agenda is climate agenda his climate agenda is his economic agenda that's scary Yep, it is. It is, and um, you know, even go back the the unions who who uh, hugely support support the Democratic Party and control them. Uh, you know, Biden's doing things like you know the Keystone Project, uh, where you know eleven thousand or more jobs, uh, union jobs, are going to be lost. And um, you know, even even in some other areas, he's done things that uh, hurts the union jobs and that, and. Um, Bob, I wouldn't be surprised with what he's doing on a few things that um, um, he he gets driven out of uh, uh, the office or is in control and somebody else steps up like Kamala Harris. So in other words, uh, yeah, because the XL pipeline and what's going on, these yep. these people are unionized. They're losing their jobs. Uh, I'm sure that does, that uh, does, I'm not sure he really connects the dots. I'm not sure he understands that he the, his these decisions. <laughs> really affect people. I mean, John Kerry says basically you guys that are out there in the mines uh, or working in the uh, energy field in, in uh, West Virginia, you guys can start work making uh, new uh, sun panels or uh, <laughs> energy panels. Solar, solar, solar panels. panels, yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm not sure these people truly are in touch with the American people. No, they're not. And uh, this... Um you know, making solar panels, people wouldn't be making near as much money and there wouldn't be as many people needed and stuff like that. So all the things they're doing, um, you know, they're throwing out there, make it, trying to make it sound good and trying to brainwash the American people. Right. Well, and, yeah. of course, giving them free this and free that, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, and f- frankly, uh, you know, making solar panels doesn't create value. We cannot... We cannot run this country with plug, plugging the country in. We can't run the country with uh, solar panels and sunbeams and uh, windmills. The fact of the matter is we need that energy sector. Right now, we've been energy independent, and slowly but surely, we're going to start bringing in oil from Saudi Arabia. Here we go again, up uh, increasing the oil prices. Yep, that's right, and taking away American jobs. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're going to take. he's promoting the $15 minimum wage. Of course, the minimum wage is actually zero, and $15 minimum wage is going to mean that more and more people cannot have entry jobs coming into the workplace. Uh, these, you know, it's President Trump did so much to expand the economy, and it's so disappointing to watch uh, Biden do what he's doing. Well, it is, and there's a lot of people that are, you know, that I talk to that are very concerned and upset that uh, he's going to bring this country down. And again, he's not—he's not the one controlling all this. He's being controlled behind the scenes. Absolutely, Dave Beagle, again, the author of *The Devil at Our Doorstep*. I strongly encourage you to get a copy of the book. It's a great read. You, you can't make the stuff up when you read what these uh, union bosses do and what they did at the time. The name of the book is *The Devil at Our Doorstep*. The website is thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Get a copy of the book on my website at a nice discount, of course, at any book purveyor. Dave, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, and have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Monday morning, we're going to have Mark Schulman, the founder of publisher of uh, HistoryCentral.com. Great website, multimedia website. Also, uh, Jim McTagg. Jim is a, a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's right there in the Beltway on, in Northern Virginia. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mysteries, uh, Follow the Leader and uh, Shake the Money Tree. He'll be with us as well. Always appreciate your feedback on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>